Imagine you've been working for a company for about three years. The job has been going well. You know, it's challenging work, but you're starting to get it. You, you feel fulfilled. It's not so challenging that you can't get by, but it's really helped you to grow. And you like your coworkers. Your boss seems to like you. He's taking you along on a few retreats, invited you out to lunch, has even brought you to some professional development conferences. He's, he believes that you have what it takes to be something great. And then one day, he calls you and a, a few other employees into his office. He says, sit down. I have a project for you guys. It's the most important venture this company has ever had. It is literally make or break for us. But we think that you're the right people for the job. We think you have what it takes. Your mission, your challenge, should you choose to accept it, is this. We want you to go out and teach the world the values we hold the ideals we believe in. I want you to convince them of the truth that I have told you, and this should literally change people's lives. Great. That, that sounds great. Uh, you start to look around, looking for the hidden camera and people to come out. I mean, this has got to be some sort of joke, right? But he just keeps looking at you. He continues. You, you have what it takes. We, we believe in you. Okay, well, okay, so you ask him, well, what are you going to give us to accomplish this? What kind of tools? What kind of methodology? What, what's this silver bullet that's going to make this happen? And he looks you dead in the eye, and he says, you already have everything you need. Unless you're a very rare person, you'd probably be feeling mortified at this point. Even as I wrote this story and read through it, I started thinking to myself, what do you mean I already have all I need? What do you mean it's all up to me? I've only been here three years, man. I, I don't want to be a part of this. But this is exactly what happened to Jesus' disciples. He'd been with them three years, and after the resurrection, before the ascension, he comes to them. And in Matthew 28, the, the Great Commission, Jesus says, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus gave this mission to the disciples and said, you already have everything that you need to accomplish this. Don't worry, the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to help you, but you are already equipped. The amazing thing these bumbling fishermen who weren't very well educated, who constantly missed the point Jesus was trying to make during the Gospels, they did it. There are now 2.3 billion Christians on earth at this moment. That's, that's a pretty good, pretty good effort. It's pretty good work. So why is it that when we hear the Great Commission, we're scared? We're terrified. We don't know what to do. We don't know what the next step looks like. These disciples who weren't really all that well educated went door to door, city to city, changing lives and proclaiming the gospel. But when we hear the Great Commission, 
Sometimes even with our, our friends or neighbors who already know that we go to church and believe in Jesus, we feel uncomfortable sharing the gospel message. We don't know how to say it. We don't know the right words. It just makes us feel a little uneasy. Like, I got to put myself out there. Or we hear Jesus' words to baptize all nations and teach everything to obey everything that he commanded. And it seems just so much bigger than we're prepared to go out and do. We feel like the deer in the headlights, overwhelmed by the immensity of the task. So what is it that made the difference for the disciples? What did they know that we don't? Why does it look so simple in scripture and seem so challenging for us in our daily lives? What is it that they have? What's, it, what's their secret? Well, when you look at the disciples, when you especially look at their story in Acts, they keep coming back to one thing. They come back to Jesus' words. They let scripture and the words of Christ shape them and define them. They let that give them courage and strength. And so last week we heard in the Beatitudes, the, the, or in the Sermon on the Mount, the beginning of the Beatitudes, the blessings Jesus pronounces over the disciples. Now, remember that the Beatitudes weren't a list of things you needed to achieve to be a disciple. They weren't something that you had to do to attain righteousness. Jesus looked out at the people right where they were and said, you are blessed. When you feel poor in spirit, when you feel lowly, when you are mourning, these blessings are about you and they're for you. The disciples went out and as things got difficult, they remembered that message. See, they found the ability and the courage that came to go out and shine God's, as God's light in the world. It came from knowing that no matter what comes, you're God's beloved child. So even when you look like a fool, even when you say the wrong thing, even when you feel weak and insufficient, you're still God's child. See, the, the disciples knew that those blessings were true about them no matter what came. And as God's children who have been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, nothing can take those blessings from you. Nothing in this life can take that truth of the gospel, that forgiveness God proclaims to you from you. See, the, the blessings of the, Beatitude, of the Beatitudes, they're about you and they're for you. As God's people who are blessed, we're also called to be a blessing to other people. That's, that flows out of who we are. When we know that we're loved by God, we're going to start loving other people. We'll treat other people differently. That's why Jesus starts his sermon on the mount with talking about who you are in Christ, who you are as someone who is blessed by God. And then he says, since you are blessed, therefore go and be a blessing. Go and be a blessing to the world around you. He then sets forth a calling for you. You're sent out to be the light of the world, to be that city on a hill, to be the salt of the earth because you have been blessed first. I want to take a moment and think about two of the stories of people who were called in Scripture, where we actually hear their stories, Abraham and Paul. See, they were called by God for specific missions, specific ministries. Now, in Genesis 2, 12, 2, God says to Abraham, I will bless you, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. God called Abraham to send him out to bless the world through him. We know that that ultimately came through Christ. But Abraham was set, sent out and chosen by God to bless others through his work. 
And then we hear about Paul in Acts 9. After his Damascus Road conversion, Paul says, this man, Paul, is my chosen servant, instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. God called Paul and Abraham to be a blessing and to glorify his name out in the world. Now, I'm not saying you need to be Paul or Abraham. They had specific calls in God's plan of salvation. But what is it that that Paul and Abraham did that made it an example of what faithfulness looks like? So I I have a question for you. What was Abraham's job or uh, life that, that provided for him before he was called? Do you know? He was a shepherd. And after his call, after God said to, to follow him, what was his job? Well, he continued to be a shepherd. He just did it faithfully to God. And Paul, from what we know, maybe, maybe he was more of a scribe or a, one of the religious leaders, but his family was likely a tent maker, a family of tent makers. And so after his call, when he goes on his mission trips from town to town, from village to village, he continues to live out his vocation as a tent maker. But how did he glorify God in his job? Well, whenever there was a break, he went out and proclaimed the gospel. He shared the good news. When someone would come and buy a tent from him, he would tell them about the Jesus he knew that that gave him hope and freedom. When he was thrown into prison for proclaiming that gospel message, he would tell the jailers, tell the other prisoners about the Jesus that he was thrown in jail for and, and why it was worth it. Paul constantly proclaimed the gospel and lived out the truth that he had faith that he had come to know faithfully in the job and the place he already lived. See, the way, the how of Matthew 28, the Great Commission, is explained in today's text in Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, you are blessed to be a blessing to others. You're called to live out your life to glorify God, and and as you do that, other people will see that light, and it will shine into the darkness of their lives. It will shine into those broken parts of our community as you continue to live out faithfully your vocation, your job as, or your role as a friend, as a neighbor, as a citizen. So God calls us to live out this truth wherever we are. He calls us to continue to share that message. But we do this everywhere. So that means if we have various roles, our ordinary jobs and roles as as tent makers or whatever your job might be, maybe it's on the factory line, maybe it's as a nurse or a shop owner, whatever it might be. Or or maybe you're a stay-at-home mom, a neighbor, a student. Whatever it is, we're called to live out the gospel to do it in extraordinary ways. We're called to be extraordinary employees and bosses, neighbors and friends, brothers and sisters, wives and husbands. Whatever we do, we're called to do it to glorify God and let his light shine in the world before us. We're called to be remarkable friends and citizens. But every time I think about this text, I always come back to the same question in my mind as I'm meditating on it. What about those days when I suck at being a good husband, 
or when you suck at being a good wife, when you're not the best employee or the best boss? What about those days when you get annoyed with your neighbor and maybe you push your leaves onto their lawn because you're frustrated with them? You know, you just make the wrong choice. On those days, have I become the salt that's lost its saltiness? Am I good for nothing but to be trampled underfoot? Because there are days when, when I don't necessarily have my best day at work. There are days when I let words slip out to neighbors, to friends, to coworkers that I wish I hadn't. There are days where I'm not as attentive to my wife as I should be. There are days where we all make mistakes and we all fall short. There are days where instead of glorifying God, we worry about what people think about us, and so we start glorifying ourselves instead. Instead of shining God's light or pointing back to the Father, we, we want the light shined on ourselves. This always happens for the same reason. We have forgotten the Beatitudes. We've forgotten that everything we have is a blessing from God. We didn't earn or deserve any of it. But God gives us all these blessings. He pours them out on our lives. He pours them out on us in abundance. When we stop being thankful to God and start focusing on ourselves instead, that's when we stop being salt and light in the world. And it's in those moments that we need to be reminded and to remember that that Jesus' death in our place isn't the only thing that matters and that brings us salvation. But rather Jesus by his life. His life was a life of perfect obedience. See, he came not to abolish, but to fulfill the law perfectly in our place. Jesus lived a life where he never sought his own glory above the glory of the fathers. Jesus, it's his perfect obedience in the face of temptation. It's his perfect submission to the Father's will in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's his perfect submission to God's word as he went the way of the cross in our place that earns us forgiveness that reminds us that we are claimed as God's children that these blessings are poured out on us that who we are is God's and that nothing can take us from his hand you see that comes from Jesus's work not just his death but also his life is what gives us hope in the day to day so on those days when when we struggle, when times get hard and we, we deny like Peter or we doubt like Thomas or we act like those of little faith and we shrink back instead of pressing forward in boldness to proclaim the gospel, it's his perfect life that gives us freedom and hope and claims us as God's children. Because in Jesus Christ, every T of the law has been crossed Every I of the law has been dotted and fulfilled perfectly. See, it's because of what he has done that we are claimed as God's children and that we glorify our Father in heaven as salt and light in our daily lives. Amen.